Okay, here's the gist. I'm a gay guy who's been living in New York City for the past three decades. I got shit to talk about. I also have awesome friends who also have a lot of shit to talk about. That's what this podcast is about, way off the record. People that you never hear from, that you need to hear from. Because trust me, girl, you need this fabulous in your life. Welcome to Way Off the Record. Uh, I'm delighted to have as my guest, L.B. Adams, uh, who I we have known each other since junior high school in upstate New York, and thrilled to have her on the pod. L.B., how are you? I'm very well. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm thrilled. Um, and we're doing this uh, remotely. You're in South Carolina, yes? I'm in Charleston. Charleston is on my list of places to go see because I hear it's It's really gorgeous. beautiful. It's so historic. <clears throat> There's still a lot of really interesting, memorable, shocking things to see here. <laughs> like what? Like Confederate mon- monuments and stuff? Well, you know, certain things like that. But when you realize, like, when that <clears throat> era is so present... It's literally in your face all the time. Wow. And so I think, you know, as a former New Yorker, we don't realize how very present those things are in some people's lives. And so the whole, maybe this is a tangent, but the whole conversation about the Confederate flag, Mm -hmm. um, to me as a New Yorker, when I was living in New York, has a totally different meaning than it does for the people here living in Charleston. Yes. Very different. Yes. Well, speaking of which, I mean, uh, we should mention the whole Charleston uh, thing that happened a couple of years ago, was it? Um, that's the same Charleston, right? Like yes. with yes. the the guy running down the people, the counter-protesters the and stuff. The massacre at Mother Emanuel, yes. Oh, my gosh. What was that like yeah. living there for that? It was horrifying. It was very, it was very like how 9-11 felt to me being Mm. a New Yorker. Mm -hmm. That same kind of, you're unable to breathe and that the, the horror is brought right to your door. Yes. Yes. And I assume, correct me if I'm wrong, but I assume that um, as in all these things that have cropped up shockingly uh, and not surprisingly in the last three years, uh, you probably didn't even know that that was a thing, right? I'm guessing. Like that kind no, of I, numbers of people. I, no, I, I agree with you. I think that, you know, privilege is real. Yeah. <laughs> privilege is real. Mm-hmm. Um. I have to say, uh, it took me a while to understand what that actually, the whole white privilege thing, what that actually means. Um, Because I had my own sort of twisted um, process in my mind that was like, well, I grew up really poor and nothing was handed to me and blah, 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 blah. 
And then you realize, then you start like paying attention and reading and, and, and things and understanding that it's everywhere, you right. know, this, this sort right. of white privilege thing. It's, it's just shocking. And, and I can imagine living there of all places, what that must, what that must have felt like. It's, it, I mean, it was horrifying for all of us, but living there. I have one of my dearest friends is an African-American woman and she has two children, one of whom is a young teenage son. And so we've had pretty frank conversations mm -hmm. about parenting and what we say to our kids. And yet there is a line there where I'm fully aware that I don't have to have how to deal with cops if you're stopped right. as an African-American boy. Right. I, I don't have to have that conversation and that's something that she has to, she has to talk to her son about. And so that just smacks me in the face sometimes as it should. Right. And so I think you're right. The last three or four years, I, I like many people have become more aware of how I move in the world and where my place is and what my place is and, mm -hmm. and what my obligations are to educate myself because that's such a good point. Every single day I'm learning something new. That, that is such a good point. You know, I recently watched, um, Chelsea Handler, the comedian, uh, mm -hmm. did this mm -hmm. really, really important, I think important, uh, documentary about white privilege and pretty quickly into the thing. She, um, I mean, I, you know, she's explaining her journey. Um, so it wasn't like she came upon this, like, you know, within an hour of the documentary, but she realized pretty quickly in her own history, um, that white privilege is a white person's problem. It shouldn't be, <laughs> it should not be like black people. It's not their job to explain white privilege right. to us, you know? And that right. really, that really hit me hard. Um, I mean, I've always loved her, but she's become very political, you know, in the last three years, as we all have, <laughs> as I have anyway. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I just think it's really important to um, to have these conversations, especially she was basically saying like, y'all need to talk about this amongst yourselves, white people. Don't put the burden on the black folks to kind of right. explain this to you. You know, it's really, really powerful. I, I recommend it. I, I don't have the name in front of me, but it's a recent thing that she did. I remember seeing the clip of it or an advertisement for it. So I, I do oh. know what you're talking about. Right. And it's such a great point. I mean, I'm, I have been chastised by um, black activist friends who've been like, you need to read, you need to do your research. Mm. It's not my job. It's not my job. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. And while it may be a hard pill to swallow, it's absolutely accurate. Yes, yes, exactly. Because like all things, um, I had a, another episode when I was talking to my friend Lisa about her trans son and non-binary child. And mm -hmm. when I first came upon this issue with a, a really close friend of mine growing up uh, is a trans man. And I had to get past my own um, biases. I mean, it was crazy that I didn't, like everything 
the the name of the episode is "Shut Up and Listen," because that's somebody a counselor told my friend Lisa this when she was having a similar kind of issue, um, not with her son. This is years ago, um, about the having to understand it, and she's like, "Just shut up and listen to them." Mm-hmm. You know, it's not about you, and oh that's gosh, like the yeah. biggest message that anybody in whether it's trans or um race issues it's like your job is to listen you know shut the fuck up so so i i love that and even in a broader scope i think that's something that 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 we teach you know in my company that that mm. you know corporations companies uh clients hire us one of the things to teach is how to listen actively because oh. too often we spend the time while other people are talking um, making up our response rather yes. than just shutting the F up. That's really and important. And listening with your whole self, listening not just yep. to the words, but how the words are being said. What is the body language? What is the facial expression? Are you getting this portrait, this conversation exactly. that is so much more than the words? That's fantastic so listen that's a perfect segue to at literally the 10 minute mark how cool is that um (laughs) tell me about your company that you started practical dramatics which is a great name by the way and and (laughs) how that where that came from your training and tell me all about that so I have a background in theater and as an actor as a director producer uh a creative And Mm -hmm. I also have a background in corporate America, working for banks, working for Mm -hmm. law firms, working Mm -hmm. for fashion houses. And so what I started to do was marry those two things and offer really fun, interesting takes on how to be in business and Mm. using those skills that I learned in the theater because the theater made me um fabulous i was dough like before (laughs) (laughs) oh it molded you girl (laughs) yeah oh for sure i was just this pliable lump before the theater oh my god i love it and uh so it was this combination of those two things and certainly with the advent of the digital age where we're looking at screens as much as faces, if not more. Mm-hmm. And so the the skill levels are decreasing, like those human skills levels. So just to be clear, that's what we teach is soft skills. So not the technical skills, not engineering skills or mathematics, mathematical skills, but those soft skills, those human skills. And so we, right. we joke around that if two humans are having a conversation, we'll be there, you know? Awesome. <laughs> That's our superpower. Yeah, exactly. And so the company grew out of this combination. Uh, and it really started uh, without thought. Uh, in upstate New York first, mm. you know, I was approached by uh, some school districts, a couple of school districts, mm-hmm. who said, can you come in and teach our students and our staff 
some stagecraft items, some theater items. And so in doing that, I would find that the questions, you know, from the Q&A period were very relevant to how can I transfer this outside of the theater? Mm -hmm. So for example, when we talk about occupying a space, you know, when we're talking about confidence and how you stand and occupy a space on stage Mm. that is directly transferable to how do you occupy, you know, a business meeting or an interview or how do you present yourself? It is immediately relevant. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so so my good friend, Jennifer, um, had suggested to me once we were here in Charleston and, I wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life. I had had this edge of the cliff kind of, I could go in this direction or it could go in that direction. And I, we had made this move and I really wanted it to be a big, a bigger life change than just geographic. And so my friend Mm -hmm. Jennifer said, and it was like a forehead slap, (laughs) why don't you take these things that you had been doing here and actually make a business out of it? Amazing. holy crap, what a revelation <laughs> that was, you know? Bravo. I could do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so that's really how it started. And I had no entrepreneurial experience whatsoever. I had not read any books. I didn't really know any entrepreneurs, but I just started to do a little bit of research and I had no money. So talk about bootstrapping a startup. <laughs> that was me. Mm-hmm. And so we... We, I created like a single workshop, which we called um, Theater Skills for the Business Professional. Great. And we put it on Groupon. Oh, cool. You know? <laughs> and that was, how, that was how everything here started. One workshop on Groupon because Groupon's mailing list was hella bigger than mine. Yeah, man. Oh, that's great. That's so exciting. Yeah, it was so pretty awesome. So how, when, did, when, when was the company founded? So I would say 2013 is interesting Hmm. um, because the original company name was Pragmatic Dramatics. And I had done a a trademark search and intellectual property search Uh on that. And I found that there was a company in Long Island that was called Pragmatic Dramatics and they did speech therapy. And so I thought, well, there's enough difference here that I don't have to be worried about that. I was so wrong. (laughs) So a year into the business, I got, yeah, a cease and desist letter from this company saying that I was infringing on their trademarks. No shit. Oh my God. So little old me, little (laughs) old me, you know, with my little tiny company and I'm getting C and D's in the mail, you know, I was like, this is kind of awesome. And so I had to rebrand, change the name, Practical Dramatics. And so now I have registered trademarks. I have you know, intellectual property. And so if anyone starts to look at practical dramatics or infringing on that, I'm the badass. Oh man, that's (laughs) so awesome. Good for you. (laughs) Do you have a website for our listeners uh, to check this out? Of course, it's www.practicaldramatics.com. Perfect. That's, that, you know, when I, I, of course, and I'm going to put that in the links at the, at the end of the episode. When I started this podcast, um, I, the first thing I did, because I, I'm a graphic designer and web designer by trade, and uh, the first thing I tell my clients is like, 
let's check to see if the name that you want to use is available is available because girl let me tell you um unless you have a really obscure name um which also factors into branding issues like is someone gonna be able to remember this name and pronounce it and stuff um the first thing you have to do is check out if the website you know name is the domain is available so good for you for um (laughs) for getting that name um Thank you. So let's talk about um, your your early years, darling. When uh, so we're from years. we're from the same hometown, Gloversville, New York, which is about an hour 40, 45 minutes northwest of Albany. It's Correct, at yeah. the foothills of the Adirondacks, which is the the town is not so pretty. Uh, some parts are pretty, but. The surrounding areas are beautiful. It's so gorgeous, right? Gorgeous. But you know, I in the so I've done a little research um, because I had thought when I so let me backtrack. Mm-hmm. I left Gloversville after high school, went to college in New York City, stayed in New York for just about twenty years, and then after nine eleven and my father died. I moved back upstate New York to handle, so this plethora of, there were legal issues and family issues, as you can well imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I moved up there and I had thought maybe I would start a business. And so I started to do a little bit of research on like what that would be like. Mm -hmm. And I, I found that Fulton County, Fulton County is one of the, is I think one of the, or the, at that point, poorest county in new york state and like one of the top 10 poorest counties in the united states awesome yay right exactly and so if that lends itself to understanding you know that there was very little industry that there was very Mm -hmm. few jobs to have and that i understand now that um you know there are there are our drug issues uh, oh, that are becoming yeah. pervasive. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I walk, you know, I, I go up there a couple times a year and you know, I, it's always bittersweet for me because, you know, growing up gay and in, in that part of the world, um, yeah, it I was, it was tricky and, and it took me a long time to like, to quell the bitterness of that and you know i finally sort of came to terms with it and 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 i love to go up there it has such potential in every way and i i my family's still up there most of my family and and i still have friends but it's you know there are times when i walk around gloversville when it's i feel like i'm in an episode of breaking bad because you see you see these create these poor creatures that are on apparently meth is a big deal a big problem up there um and it's really horrifying and we're about the same age and and you know back in the day when it was like you know somewhat Mm -hmm. fabulous and and but it 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 really suffered along with most of upstate new york for you know all the jobs were shipped off to china and asia well there is no industry i think that the only remnant of industry there is healthcare, per se oh yeah yeah which also is sort of a kind of a window into what's going on there. You know what I mean? Um, right, let's exactly. not talk about that. It's depressing. 
Um, <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Tell me about... But I will tell you, as a quick aside, though, uh-huh. so while I was living there, so I lived there for another 10 years before we moved to Charleston. Mm. And in that time, I had purchased a couple of rental properties and renovated those. And I will never forget the day that I was, I had taken my friend to the hospital and I was waiting to drive her home. Mm-hmm. And I received a text from my then boyfriend it's like the police are swarming your house what (laughs) yeah and so unbeknownst to me it's that meth lab girl i told you about that (laughs) it wasn't a lab but it it was part of apparently one of my rental properties was part of a drug sting uh sting rather Uh, like a, a fulton montgomery county coordinated sting so that happened. Oh, my God. <laughs> the funniest part. Wait. So the funniest part of this, okay? So it happened in July, and the police locked down the house. They cut the power, and they locked down the house. Mm-hmm. And so July. And when we could oh. get back in there to clean up, obviously the tenants were arrested and were no longer there. So when I could get back into the house to clean up, the power had been off. And I was dealing with a refrigerator full of highly spoiled food. It was toxic. It was horrific. And so we were cleaning out this house. And I was cleaning out the bathroom. And I opened up, you know, the space under the sink where you put all your toiletries and things like that. Mm -hmm. So there was a box of tampons and, like, (laughs) a bottle of douche. My tenant was a woman. And so I start to pull those things out. And then I see... Behind the tampons, behind the douche, uh, tucked into the leg of a sweat of sweatpants was an AK-47. What? That the cops completely missed. Oh, my so God. So here's the moral of that story. If you want to hide something, put it behind the douche. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't mean to yeah. laugh. It's like no, I know. horrifying. I, I was... Beyond, and so of course I called the police, and they were so cavalier about it. They're like, "How do we know that you didn't put that there?" And I, uh, I just looked at him, and I was like, "What?" Yeah, because I'm an arms dealer <laughs> as well. So, yeah, Jesus Christ! So oh. yeah, AK-47 behind the douche. Future reference, you know. Well, so. I'm glad we talked about this because that was one of the questions I had. Um, I can imagine, you know, having spent 20 years in New York City, which, by the way, I have to say, we lost touch. And I didn't, you were here when I was here. I moved here in 88, you know, and I've been here ever since. And I'm just glad we, you know, reconnected because that would have been fucking awesome if we (laughs) had known each other, you know, as adults. I agree. So. I agree. And, you know, my best friend in the world still lives in New York. And, I, you know, I'm fortunate enough to go visit him mm. you know, once a year. Um, and he hooks me up with all the best shows. So Nice. <laughs> What's his name? Do I know him? I might know him. I, you might, um, but I'll tell you off air. <laughs> okay. Okay, cool. <laughs> Cool. Um, all right. So I want to I wanna talk. Uh, I want you to tell me about your... your life growing up okay so obviously it grew up in gloversville so my family Mm -hmm. was pretty poor Mm -hmm. um my dad was a truck driver and my mom for a long time 
didn't work or worked uh, small jobs. Like she worked at, do you remember Nichols, which was- Oh my God, of course I do. Of yes. course I do. Yes. Yes. So, That's like, what, what's it now? Like it became like uh, with a B, didn't it? Um, I have, yeah, I think it's something else, but I, I haven't it, been there since it is now, it yeah. But so she worked as a cashier there. And, you know, my dad was an alcoholic. My my mom was very codependent. And so it made growing up really difficult, you know, mm. really difficult. And so my dad was violent sometimes. And my mom was kind of quick with her hands as well. Mm. Um, and so we never knew what we were going to get when we walked in the door. And that was part of the anxiety, like... How do you walk on eggshells? How do you tiptoe around so as not to cause something? Right. You know, there was all of that. And then coupled with the fact that I think my parents' response to their disillusionment within their own life was mm -hmm. to tightly, tightly control everything my sisters and I did. So yes. we yes. were really not allowed to have... Um, extracurricular activities. I was allowed to do one play in middle school and that mm. was it. That was it. My parents decided that took up too much time. Uh, I couldn't do that. I couldn't go to parties. I couldn't date. Um, Which you know, play was I it? Do you, remember what, do you remember what the play what was? was? <clears throat> do you remember what the play was? Yeah, it was Cindy. It was Cindy. Yeah, That's right. Was. We talked about... Okay, so let yeah. me just interject because <laughs> we, we did talk about this earlier what are you so interjecting? cindy is uh the basically the jewish version of cinderella Correct. it's hilarious yeah. and by the way i'm uh, um just became sort of friends with which is so such a strange thing to say with uh deb berger who was the director you know also taught uh classes at at uh Esty, our middle school which is no longer right. there like literally right, like torn down um and so when we talked about this uh before the interview you and i i was cast in that oh god this is so embarrassing i was the prince charming of course you were <laughs> character of course. and um marie lamanto was initially cast as cinderella and to her credit, she quit the role and then became one of the stepsisters. And you know what her reason was? This is why I love yeah. her. She's like, Cindy was such a boring character. Like, the stepsisters were so much more interesting. She's like <laughs> fucking 12 years old. And she, oh, and, awesome. and like, I don't want to be the but lead. I want to be like, she knew. She knew. And, and so, of course, I took it so personally because we were friends. We're still friends and i was like it's something that i did like uh, did i have bad breath or like she's like no my god no slapping me you know like uh, it's just hilarious and so when we you and i talked about this um i bizarrely had like the last night's performance rap party or whatever at my house right the cast party <laughs> and God bless my parents for allowing, you know, like 20, 30 preteens into their home. And they sort of releg me, relegated me to their bedroom, which is weird. And we all played spin the bottle. And So you said that. And I, I really have no recollection <laughs> of that, or very little. I blocked it all out. <laughs> well, I'm wondering, like, to your point earlier, like, did your parents allow you to go 
to the cast I party. I think that they did. My my recollection is that I begged, like I begged, to be able to oh, go. Oh, good. Um, because it was such a new experience. It was so exciting. I think they did <laughs> let me go. There's no doubt in my mind that they picked me up early and oh, of course, you know that they grilled <laughs> me on everything. Um, but I don't know if I was brave enough to participate and spin the bottle. I, or was I reckless enough to do it? And then did I just block it out? Well, my guess I'm is, sure. like you said, you probably came for like the cake and the, you know, the soft drinks and then, <laughs> and, <laughs> and then, then got whisked so away. Remember. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. And always remember life is short and unpredictable. Moments are fleeting and sometimes simply miserable. Tell me what the hell are you scared of when in the end the only thing is love in the end. Love's the only thing. I wanna regret the things wanna, I've done. Wanna, Never the things I've left unknown. Never a second will I waste. Never an opportunity to taste the sweetness of life. In high school, <laughs> I was allowed to go to one party. I was mm. allowed to go to one party, mm -hmm. and my father was adamant. Like, 10 o'clock, they were picking me up, right? Yeah. And so my dad was like, you have to be outside at 10 o'clock. 10.01, and you're in big trouble. Oh. And so walked out the door at 10 o'clock, and mm -hmm. my father was walking up the, the, the walk mm -hmm. at the house. And was like, you're late. You're late. <laughs> and I got in so much trouble and I was never allowed to go to another party. Oh, God. But you were on time. Yeah. Was yeah. his watch off yeah. or something? like? You know what? I think my father subscribed to the, the theater version. You know, like, if you're early, you're on time. If you're oh. on time, you're late. And if you're late, oh. you're fired. I'm sorry you had to go through that. That's awful. Yeah. That was, you know. And so New York, my, you know, my dreams of New York mm -hmm. um, were my escape. When did you move? They were what absolutely age? my escape. At what age did you move to the city? So for college when I was 17. But there is a, there's a tangent here. Okay. So when I was eight or I think it was eight or nine, something like that. Mm -hmm. Young, very young. Um had to be, no, I think I was seven, actually. Um, in the middle of the night, my mother took my sister and I to uh, an aunt's house, mm -hmm. middle of the night, and um, she was leaving my father. Oh and my so God. we went and we stayed the night at this aunt's house, and I remember my dad coming down the block, honking his horn and like beating on the door, trying to get in. And then in the morning, we got on a Greyhound bus, the three of us, and my mother took us to a farm outside of Myrtle Beach in South Carolina. Oh. So what I recall about that trip was we had no food, we had no money. So this was days on a bus, mm. a couple of days. Right. And the bus driver took pity on this woman and her two children, and he bought us a couple of candy bars. And that was all we had to eat for the, the trip. Oh, man. Um, and so we stayed on this farm for a while, and my dad came, he found us, or what have you, and my mom reunited with my father, and we lived in a rented trailer. I mean, we were original, 
white trail of trash. Um, <laughs> you know, you got to call it like it is. Right. Uh, but we lived in this trailer for a little while until um, things got very bad again. And we left South Carolina in the middle of the night, leaving mm. most of what we had accumulated in the time that we were living there, there. Yeah. And so I remember very distinctly sitting in the back seat of the car squished up against the window because it was my sister and I in the back seat and everything else that we all owned was in the back seat. Oh my gosh. And we went across I think it was the the George Washington Bridge and I could see this skyline of Manhattan mm. and I was utterly entranced and it was magical and I thought that's for me. Yeah. That is for yeah. Me. And so I decided I decided regardless of how I got there, but that's where I was going to go. And so after school or, or, you know, during high school, I knew that I was going to go to college in New York City. I mm. just knew that I had to, I wasn't going to college. I was running away to college. Right, right. And what school was it that you went to? I went to Pace downtown. Oh, right, right. Great school. Yeah. Really good school. It was really fun. I, they had just like Pace was not known at that point for being a drama school. Like now the actor's studio has a, ho a home there. Oh, wow. Um, but then Pace was an accounting school. <laughs> oh, really? But they had just literally just started building a dramatic arts program. Mm -hmm. And so I think I, I got in like the second year the program was active or something like that. Amazing. And I had these amazing teachers just opened up vistas to worlds for me and i bet um yeah staggering staggering what they did for me that's amazing and and like you said it was both your way out and then your way in you know yes. into this new world so you said that after college you were a working actor and then you weren't I so uh, right exactly. tell me a little bit about that <laughs> well one of the things so going away to college and leaving this small town was and you probably have experienced this as well like growing up in a small town everybody knows you mm -hmm. everybody has decided who you are mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. regardless of whether you are that or not exactly the decision has already been made and it can't be changed and so I decided when I went to New York that I was going to be who I wanted to be. And I wasn't sure who that was, but I was going to be this other new, you know, better bionic Exactly. Person. That's why we all and, come here. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so right out of college, I got an off-Broadway show. What? And so... Yeah, oh it's ridiculous. Like literally out of college, off Broadway. I was like, woohoo, I am on the way. I'm Amazing. Doing, you know, <laughs> and I'm, I'm doing what I love and I have this gig and I'm getting paid. And then the gig ended, the show, you know, ran its course and I couldn't get a job. Oh, <laughs> you know, man. as is the way. It, it just is the way. Yeah. I couldn't yeah. get a job. Yeah. And so. You know, I started to work and I, I had no food or beverage experience. And so I could type and I, you know, word processing was very big. Uh, you yep. know, computers were really, <laughs> I'm going to date myself here, 
computers were fairly new, like personal computers or, or uh, oh, me too. Know, certainly laptops weren't even a thing then, but personal computers me too. Um, where desktops were <laughs> fairly new and people who could use the programs and really work them well were in high demand. And so yeah. I started pimping you know, third shift in law firms, typing these ginormous legal documents super mm -hmm. fast and mm -hmm. auditioning during the day. And, and sometimes I would film, sometimes I would rehearse or, you know, your voiceovers and soaps and all of this other stuff was happening and I was still temping in law firms. And yeah. so what I found was I was picking up the content of the documents. I was understanding the legalities and I was working in commercial real estate. So, you know, there mm. are very siloed opportunities mm -hmm. at that time in, in legal. And so I was working in commercial real estate. And so then I was offered a job at one of the firms as a paralegal because I was at the point where I wasn't just typing documents that they were, I was like, is this correct? Cause I've seen this differently here. And, and so they, they saw something in me um, and offered me an opportunity to, make a hell of a lot of money <laughs> and you know come on board and do that and and i was like well i'm an actor i don't know how i could do this i was that i was gonna ask was that like a really right. wrenching it was, exp uh, it was difficult choice. um you know it was like do you want to act or do you want to eat exactly <laughs> exactly you know, sometimes i liked to eat <laughs> <You know? laughs> exactly <laughs> Sometimes I, I get do. it, girl. I get it. Because, you know, <laughs> I had a very similar experience. I moved to New York when I was like 22 um, for a boy and who was an agent uh, that he worked at the Gersh Agency, which was oh, yeah. kind of a big deal. I knew them well. So he got me an audition. Or audition, listen to me. He got me a job working uh, an interview working for Jay Binder the casting director who's still oh, pretty I know. big I know Jay Binder yeah and so I worked for Jay Binder for like a week and it was amazing <laughs> I got to go on auditions and you know you know go through headshots and the it was really exciting to me as like this young gay boy working on Broadway shows and and he seemed really pleased with my work and whatever. And so like literally a week later, I moved my whole life, which was, you know, I had a suitcase essentially, um, mm -hmm. to New York City. And then he takes me into his office. I'll never forget this. Like I literally worked Monday to Friday and on Friday at like five o'clock, takes me in his office and he's like, listen, uh, I was talking to my accountant Sheldon and he says, uh, I can't afford to pay you, so I'm sorry. And he was he was more compassionate than that. And, and I just looked at him and I said, I moved to New York City for this job. He's like, I'm sorry. Oh, gosh. So that set into a whole motion of, like, craziness. And I did, like, retail jobs. I did television. Yes. Um, yes. And then television ended. I did the Cosby show. I did... Attitudes, the Lifetime Women's Talk Show, yeah. and then Cosby. And then it ended, like there was no television in New York. There was all these writer's strikes and stuff. So that's how I got into corporate, like, word processing. And I remember on my first interview for some job at some bank, it was I think it was actually, <laughs> talk about dating yourself. It was Manufacturer's Hanover. 
Oh, gosh, I remember that. Which was something else and something else and now Chase and whatever. Um, and they asked me, and I you know, had to do like a typing test and stuff. But even before all that, they were like, do you know Windows? Yeah. This is, I'm thinking, 2002. Um, I didn't know what the fuck they were talking about. I'm like, yeah, of course. I, I love Windows. <laughs> the I answer is always yes. No idea until, I'm not kidding you, um, because I think it was so new that they didn't even have like a test for that. Just They just had like a typing test or whatever, right. which I was never great right. at, but it was like enough to like pass, you know. I go out of this, the first day on this job, which lasted a while, at like Park Avenue South, girl. It was like this fancy, you know, in the lobby. I like, worked on Park Avenue South. Did you? I bet we, we probably worked in the same job. Um, and I get sat down and, and it was like typing up documents. And I literally, for the first time in my life, opened up Windows. But because it was like a big like black B and like an, a slanted um, I and a, a U with an underline. Like I figured out really quickly and I was like, cause the geek in me, the sort of tech geek in me, like figured it out really quickly. And so, yeah, so that's, <laughs> oh my God. Isn't that funny? So there we go. Yeah, I was on the, the sort of the front lines of it myself, you know, with the advent of Word and WordPerfect. Mm -hmm. you know, and if you knew either or both, I mean, back in the day, like, you don't really hear much about Word Perfect anymore, but you you know Word, but Word Perfect was the program. I worked on Word Perfect DOS, girl. DOS version yeah. of Word Perfect <laughs> at Cosby Show. Yep. Boy, you old. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm 53 years old. Oh, that's so funny. That was crazy. Oh, oh I want to ask you... Um, you said that you worked at Calvin Klein in the Intel prop department. In the intellectual property, yeah. Oh, so, oh. Intellectual property, so. Oh, that I know what that is. You know, different law firms. So I had taken a job at a company called Trademark Research. Mm -hmm. And so I was like grunt work, low level, working on and being trained, you know, from the ground up, like on trademarks and state trademarks. And so the company did exactly what we were talking about earlier. Like if you wanted a trademark, um, we would do all of the research on that trademark and we would prevent, uh, present you with this gorgeous report um, nice. that offered maybe a recommendation on whether you could have it or you couldn't have it. Nice. And so I started there and I really gathered a bunch of intellectual property uh knowledge and experience and so uh -huh. a couple of jobs later I you know I was job hunting again and so I thought the headhunter was like you know we have a lot of fashion houses that are looking for intellectual property people mm. and I thought you know I love fashion <laughs> yeah right exactly I could so I went in-house at Calvin Klein and I was it was fun for a while to work with the Pinkerton Detective Agency and setting up counterfeiting stings, no. uh, working with customs. Oh my god! With, yeah, oh, it was it was a lot of fun for a little while. But I have to tell you, those people are crazy. <laughs> those oh, people, I'm sure. People I'm in sure. fashion are bananas. I can, just I can, bananas. I can only imagine. So, so then, so do one eighty, and then you. So I, I tell know me. what you're about to ask. I know. <laughs> So while I was working there, I was also going through a pretty bad divorce. And oh. on a lark, I I had tried scuba diving in a pool, right? And I was yeah, like, this yeah, yeah. is amazing. 
<laughs> and so in you know there are tons of scoop diving places in new york city i don't know if you know that. i didn't know that no um, but god you can learn scuba diving because i'm not going in the hudson river i'm not going in the hudson no, river no 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 i'll go in a so, pool <laughs> yeah so there's a pool on saint bart's church oh fifties, i think it is uh-huh but they have a pool and it's a big pool and that's where a lot of the agencies teach scuba diving Oh and God. so I started taking scuba diving lessons and I, <laughs> I love it. Uh, moved up. And so, you know, I was a beginner and then I was a intermediate. I forget what they call them. And then a master diver. Mm. And so then I was like, you know what? I'm going to teach scuba diving. I'm going to freaking move to Mexico and teach <laughs> scuba diving. Awesome. Like this just sounds like a really good career move. You know? Yeah. You know, <laughs> how old were you at this point? <laughs> Oh my gosh! I want to say, oh, like twenty something. Twenty nine. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good. 29. Good. Yeah. So twenty nine or thirty. Yeah, twenty nine. And so I quit Calvin Klein, and I went to Mexico, which lasted not a long time because the Mexican government had put a moratorium on non-nationals working in the tourist industry. They oh. wanted to. My understanding was that they wanted to save the tourist industry jobs for people who lived there um, uh -huh. or for Mexican citizens rather. And so they were like, adios Blanquita, you know? Oh my <laughs> God. Wow. So that didn't work out so well. And so it was back to New York to try to figure out what I wanted to do. And I went back to uh, commercial real estate and law firms and temping and auditioning and, you mm -hmm. know, kind of recreating that whole thing. And then again, law firms led to m more opportunities to make money. And I was recruited by a bank and I became an assistant vice president of Ooh. a bank in New York. And go figure, right? Um, the actor. And so <laughs> I worked, <laughs> so I worked there until after 9-11. 9-11 was a big as it was for anybody who was in New York or for most Americans, yeah. I will yeah. say, but, um, so nine 11 was really a dramatic change, but the year, year and a half before that, my dad had my dad, who was a truck driver mm -hmm. had, um, so he was driving a dump truck that had a pup trailer on the back of it. So that's where there's like another kind of open flatbed, coming behind the dump, dump truck that's attached to it. Uh -huh. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can picture it. Okay. So he was driving along on the throughway, and I think he was hauling rock salt or something. Mm. And the axle on his dump truck literally snapped in half. Oh, God. And so <clears throat> he died. Oh. And... You know, that and then 9-11 a while after that. And I was going back and forth from Manhattan to upstate New York to try to deal with, again, the family issues and the legal issues. And my dad didn't have a will. And mm. there was an illegitimate son. Who knew? Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So there was a lot of drama surrounding oh. my dad's death that wasn't just related to grieving or mourning, but all of this other stuff. Right. And so those things in the aggregate made me think maybe it was time to make another life change. And so I bought a house. 
uh, in Gloversville and I renovated it and I didn't know anything about renovation at that point, but I was like, Hey, <laughs> I can learn. I'm a smart person. Good and so you. I bought some tools and I started renovating and I fortunately had a cousin who was instrumental in helping me. His name was Michael. And mm -hmm. he was such a good guy about showing me stuff and teaching me and then letting me electrocute myself and, you know, <laughs> all of that. Oh, no. <laughs> all the best stuff. And that turned into, I mean, like, buying houses and renovating them and, so yes? So I did, I, you know, I did do a couple of those. Um, but ultimately, I, I went back into mortgage banking. Oh, so right. before I had been working on the commercial side, you know, big, giant, multi-million dollar facilities, mm -hmm. um, you know, building skyscrapers in Manhattan, to wow. residential mortgages in upstate and so that was a big change of pace you know big change <laughs> of pace but that's what i was doing there for a long long time actually i was doing that for the whole 10 years that we were there and i met my husband i had my daughter etc cetera, etc cetera. i don't oh. mean that to sound offhand but you know that's life no that's it, lovely it was part of the life there and then the three of us decided to move here and that was where i had you know, the ability to either contractually work remotely for the bank that I had been working for and do what I was doing or not and do yes. something vastly different. And I chose, you know, the road not taken. That's amazing. That's, gosh, that's, that's such a beautiful rags to riches story. I mean, it sounds cliche, but I know from where you came and I know how I know what goes into, you know, reinventing oneself and, and, right. and sort yes. of quashing the demons down and, and all of that. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. And always remember life is short and unpredictable. Moments are fleeting and sometimes simply miserable. Tell me what the hell are you scared of when in the end The only thing is love in the end Love's the only thing I want to regret the things wanna, I've done wanna, Never wanna, the things I've left wanna, unknown wanna, Never a second will wanna, I waste wanna, Never an opportunity wanna, to taste the sweetness wanna, of life All of the misery So tell me about what happened to your mom. My mom was a my mom and dad both were lifelong smokers. So my mom and we knew that lung cancer was going to get her. It was kind of a given, and of course it did. I mean, oh. really heavy, lifelong smoker, sedentary um, in her retirement, and um, really just a lot of health issues. And so my dad, when he, it's ironic about my dad, and maybe this is a cautionary tale, but. You know, my dad had had a couple of heart attacks in his life, mm -hmm. a couple of them. And he had gone in, he had a third heart attack and he went in for bypass surgery. He had something like a, a triple or a quadruple bypass. It mm -hmm. was amazing. Like they rebuilt all the valves in his heart. They rebuilt his heart. It's now by, it was bionic. Right. Um, right. And so. He took from that to reconnect with his sister and his brother that live out west. And so he made this journey. He traveled by himself. You know, he drove and he saw his brother, who I think he was living in Iowa at the time, or Idaho, one of the I states. <laughs> no, I never and know. <laughs> hung out with him and he hadn't talked to his brother in years. Mm. 
And so he reconnected with him and then he went further west to my aunt who lived in California. And so he, he got to see her and then he drove back and, and it was such an amazing thing for him. And then literally a year, almost to the day, he died in the truck accident. Oh, God. So multiple heart attacks, bypass surgery and the truck accident. So that has taught me a lot about like you just never know nothing right. is promised not one single moment nothing is promised so one of the i one of the most interesting things that i have done in my life or that has happened to me and it's i have a book in here somewhere you know mm. there is a book that i'm going to write yes um it's going to be amazing but I met, when I went to college in New York City, as I said, I got to reinvent myself and I got to figure out, maybe in a way that a lot of people don't get to, but I got to figure out who I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And being surrounded by creative people and dramatic people and all of that bigness, you know, all of that just sparkly, spangly, fabulous <laughs> drama, yeah. really... It's so intoxicating, but I met the most amazing people. Yeah. Some of the most amazing people that have profoundly influenced me. One of them was my very good friend and then later my husband. Oh. And his name is Michael. Nice. His name is Michael. And um, Michael is a out and proud gay man. Oh. And Right. But he didn't know that. And so that's a whole other conversation. That oh, my God. You're confusing me, girl. Um. <laughs> so but to that end, though, is that what I'm what I'm trying to say is that Michael is still very important to me. He is. We see each other. He comes to Charleston twice a year. My oh, wait, this is your first David. husband. Your first? Yes. Okay, 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 good. <laughs> and so my husband, David, and he <clears throat> are friends. And um, you know, he's my daughter's godfather. Oh. And he, it, but it's, that's what I'm saying. Like, you get to choose. You right. get to choose. Right. And when, you know, when we sussed out that he was gay and that was the problem in our marriage, mm -hmm. um, which we didn't figure out until a year after the divorce was final. Oh. Because he's Italian from Brooklyn. <laughs> and so that was, yeah. <clears throat> that, like I said, that's a whole other story. So I have to say. Or a whole bigger story. I have to say, um, as you were telling me, as we were talking about all of the things that you've done in your life, not only can I see this as a book, I can see this as a play or a film. Yes. yes. I mean, honestly, yeah. the, the things that you were talking about are so cinematic Almost, yes. you know, so when you write your book, write it, <laughs> write it with that in mind, because then you can not only write a book, you can write a screenplay and then we'll all move to Hollywood and be fabulous and it'll be. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> but I, again, you know, I, I think that you get to choose and yeah, like my, my dad was my first image of what a man is and, and because that experience was abusive and violent, I think I tried to move as far away from that archetype as I possibly could. Mm. And so, you know, Michael is 
was always very sweet and kind and um, creative and he was an actor and you know all of this and wow. I just didn't coming from where we came from like I didn't really know gay like I didn't yeah. know what that meant exactly yeah and I you know was profoundly innocent and just I, I didn't care about um, the idea of what you think manhood should look like right or what anybody feels I, I all I knew is that that I was looking for love and he loved me oh, that's and so I chose beautiful. that yeah I chose that and I chose to maintain that relationship and I don't know exactly how I got on this tangent but except to say that holy shit what a pretty varied and interesting life it's been so far yes exactly and I'm so fortunate to have encountered the people that I have yeah. because we're all atoms bouncing through this <laughs> you know atmosphere and exactly off of each other and taking what we can and creating bonds when we can and then moving away and I am fortunate that some of the bonds have been really strong that's amazing thank you so much for this I have thank you so for letting me just chat here no it's fabulous I have so many interesting friends that's the whole idea about this podcast is like you know I'm of a certain age my friends are of a certain age. I'm not all different ages, really, but I think we have some really interesting things to to impart to people. And I and I'm so happy that we reconnected and were able to do this. And you know, maybe part two we can talk more about Michael and that whole thing. Sure, <laughs> but, absolutely. Um, but I'm gonna end it here. And uh, <laughs> again, thank you so much for this. Uh, it's been a well, joy. Thank you for your time and your conversation. I sure do appreciate it. Of course, of course. I will talk to you soon. All right, my friend, take care. Way Off the Record has been written, edited, and produced by Scott Ambrosino, also produced by Christian Hernandez. And we are available on all platforms where you get your podcasts. And Drop us a line on social media. We can be reached at the at sign WOTRPod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. <laughs>